Welcome to episode 146 of the Headspace and Timing podcast. On today's episode, I have a conversation with the courageous veteran and military spouse, Annette Wittenberger. Annette has been open and honest about her experiences with mental health and transition out of the military. One of the things I try to put out there is it is okay to not be okay. It, it really is. You can cry, you can have your moments, but just remember that tomorrow is another day and you can start over and not everybody gets that chance, but if you're still here to be able to do it, then absolutely. And I'll help you do it. Before we get started, I want to give listeners a heads up. We're almost to 150 episodes of Headspace and Timing, and I'm going to start doing something a little different after that. I have a number of guests lined up for the rest of this month, so keep tuning in. And after that, I'm going to be putting new guest interviews on hold for a while while I develop a new project that I hope to announce very soon. I'll be going back and putting together shorter episodes based on previous conversations, so keep subscribed, keep listening and giving feedback, and keep an ear out for the next big thing. To keep up with all the latest, sign up for our newsletter by going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash update. I'm also looking for those of you who want to get in early on the new project. I've started to build a community of listeners on Flick so that you can interact with other listeners, provide feedback about the show, or interact with the host and guest. While on your phone, go to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash community to learn more. Welcome to the Headspace and Timing podcast, a show dedicated to breaking down the stereotypes around veteran mental health. My name is Dwayne France, and I'm a retired Army non-commissioned officer and a combat veteran of both Iraq and Afghanistan. After retiring from the Army, I took on a new mission as a clinical mental health counselor for my fellow service members. If you served in any branch of the military, then you're familiar with the M2 machine gun, the 50 cal. It's one of the most effective weapons in the military's arsenal. If the weapon's headspace and timing wasn't set correctly, however, it was just a useless chunk of metal. Veterans can be rendered inoperable if their headspace and timing's not set correctly either. That's my goal with this show change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health and reduce the stigma against seeking support. Each week, we'll talk with mental health professionals, veterans, and those who support service members, veterans, and their families. We're going to have real and honest conversations about a topic that most just don't like to talk about, veteran mental health. Let's jump into this week's conversation. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Headspace and Timing podcast. Once again, and as always, we really appreciate you taking the time to listen and learn more about veteran mental health. Uh, longtime listeners know that I like to have a wide range of guests on my show. Um, uh, my guest today is a veteran herself, also a military spouse, and, and has really focused on uh, being vocal and open and honest about veteran mental health wellness and, and spreading the word about that. Uh, and I think you're really going to be uh, encouraged and, and enjoy the great conversation we're going to have today. So my guest today is Annette Wittenberger. Annette, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you very much for having me. Yes, thank you for um, for being willing to, to jump on the show. Um uh, really appreciate the some of the the conversations that we've been having, and like I said, I really appreciate how vocal you are about you know your experiences and uh, and even as we were talking just before we we started, how not a lot of veterans do that. Uh, but I'd like to give you an opportunity to tell the audience a bit about yourself. Okay, so I'm a retired veteran and um, a military spouse for over 22 years. 
I'm also a mother to a college sophomore and a high school junior. Uh, so I'm pretty, pretty busy with that. I decided to, when I was retiring out of the military three years ago, I had a really hard time. Uh, I think I had a hard time for years before that, but I never wanted to admit it. I never wanted to speak about it because I was just embarrassed and I didn't want it to hinder my career and uh, my security clearance and, and all that. So I, I didn't say anything until the end. And uh, when I was really having a hard time, I decided to start writing about it. Uh, but it was just more for me. It was kind of just in secret, just a journal kind of thing. And then I started talking to former soldiers and they started uh, telling me how they were feeling. And that's where I decided that I wasn't going to hide it anymore. And I wanted to do something about it because I was I really had some low points in my life. Um, that's when I decided to start my blog. And I just, uh, even though I was deathly afraid to put it out there, I just, just went for it. And over time, I've had people who were surprised that had no idea and then people who understood and then I had strangers reaching out to me and that's when I was like oh my gosh this is this is bigger than what I had imagined and what I thought it would be but I was they they are what kept me doing this because I knew that there was a reason I had that I was sharing my story um, and then one last thing was that my daughter and I were in a very traumatic car accident last August and, um, the doctors don't even know how we survived. And I knew at that point that I was given another chance and that's what really pushed me to, to keep going because I knew, I don't know how I survived it. I don't know. I'm still recovering and my daughter's finally, she's in college. She missed a semester, but she went back and she kept, she's strong. And looking at her, I was like, okay, that's it. This is it. So that's why I'm such a huge mental health advocate, because I don't know how I got through all that. And I'm still here living proof to help other people. So that's why I'm here. <laughs> You know, that's, uh, that's amazing. Of course, um, uh, having been married, uh, my wife and I just hit uh, 20 years. And, uh, so she was, uh, we got married about six or seven years, maybe, uh, when I was in the military. And so she was with me for four out of my five deployments. Um, both of our kids, uh, I also have a college sophomore. I commiserate. We were dealing with college <laughs> stuff this morning, um, and a, and a upcoming college freshman. So I'm getting it with two barrels. Um, <sighs> but, Military, uh, military spouses, military families, and and military children have an inherent strength, and that strength is born out of struggle, right? Uh, in in the struggle, even more the struggles that you had as a service member yourself, as a dual military spouse, as a military spouse now veteran spouse, all of this combined, <laughs> um, it really, it takes a certain kind of strength, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Does absolutely does. Now, you, you mentioned something that uh, at the end of uh, your career was when you finally started to say something a little bit, maybe. And, and this is something we hear a lot. And, you know, admittedly, sure, same thing to me. Um, uh, I retired after 22 years and 14. And 
Um, literally did not have feeling in, in, in the, the three fingers of my right hand for about seven or eight years that I totally mm. ignored and I didn't do anything about it until I retired. Right. That's when we all, you know, shove <laughs> ourselves in and get everything done. Um, yeah. it, but it, so how was that for you? I think initially coming to terms with the fact, acknowledging personally that there were some things going on and then, you know, um, getting maybe some of the initial support around it. I started, my, my kids had to grow up very fast, um, you know, with having both parents in the military and having to just start being independent at a very young age. Well, my daughter started to really, I mean, they've, they've seen me go through my low, low points, but she finally, you know, said something and she told her dad, like, I don't want to leave mom because she needs me. And that just hit home because she was trying to take care of me when I had my meltdowns, when I hid in my room, when I, I didn't want to leave the house. And it was just, it was such an eye opener and it broke my heart because I was like, this is, this is insane. What am I doing to my kids? And that's when my husband's like, you need to, you need to get help. I'm like, no, I'm good. I've got this. Cause we're, you know, we're raised to be so tough and strong and you put on your game face and that's just what I was doing, but I couldn't do it anymore. Um, and if it wasn't for her saying something and I, even though my husband said something, I ignored it. But when my daughter said something, that's when I was like this, I can't do this. And so that's when I just decided I, I need to either write, I need to talk about it. I need to do something because I'm not, I can't do it on my own. And it took years for me to, to realize that. Now, and, and this is something, and, and a lot of the veterans that I work with as a clinical mental health counselor, they usually won't seek support until there's an external uh, influence. Um, actually, uh, a mentor of mine said um, veterans won't seek um, mental health treatment um, until um, one of three people or one of three things uh, push you to it, your lawyer, your lover, or your liver. Right. So it's either health related yes. or family related, like it was for you, for your daughter, or unfortunately for many of our brothers and sisters, something um, we end up in the back of a cop car in front of a judge. Um, right. But uh, and, and I'd like to hear if if imagine if one of your soldiers was experiencing what you experienced and you saw that you would have pushed them to get help. You're absolutely right. You are. I I would have fought hard for them to get help, but I wouldn't fight hard for myself to get help. So it was, it's a double standard. It's, it's being hypocritical, but I, I don't know. I thought I could do it. Um, but if it was, if it was one of them and I, and I had, I had a soldier who on the outside, he seemed fine. He smiled. I talked to his mom. We deployed we came back, I changed command, and he committed suicide. And it's, it's little things like that that I will always have in the back of my mind as to why I have to speak out about it because we're not okay. And, yeah. yeah I mean, in, in, um, it definitely, right? We, we do have to address what's there. Um and, uh, and I don't, I don't think it's hypocritical. I think it is more what we're used to in the military, right? Our, our shield covers our brother and our sister and, and, and our, you know, we expect their shield to cover us kind of thing. 
Um, and, yes. and it's, we apply the stigma, um, and, and studies have shown this, but we apply the stigma to, um, against mental health treatment to other veterans differently than we apply it to ourselves. We apply it more strongly to ourselves. Surveys have shown that, um, for example, I think one of the questions was, um, would you think another veteran is weak for seeking mental health treatment? A majority said no. Would mm -hmm. Do you think other veterans would think you're weak for seeking treatment? A majority said yes, right? And so there's yes. this, we apply this double standard. Um, and, mm -hmm. and even if, as you said, your husband said, go get help, go get help. He saw it in you. Um, mm -hmm. And we will help everyone around us and often to the point of, of hurting ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's, uh, it, I don't want to say silly. It, it's just crazy how you think about it. It's true. I, I would never judge anybody else to go get help, but I don't know why I felt like I would have been judged. I, I don't, I don't want to. <laughs> so then, um, in, in the, what I really appreciate, you started speaking out about it. You started talking about it. Um, and, uh, and you didn't get the response maybe that you were afraid of, um, you know, or people would think that you're weak or, you know, hey, you were an officer in the army. You should be able to hack this. Um, mm -hmm. None of that stuff really happened. It was the opposite. Right. It, it was. I I know that it's hard to talk about. So not a lot of people would comment on it if I posted it, but I would get messages. It's like they didn't they were afraid to say something in public, but they would message me privately and say, you know what, thank you for saying that because I don't know how to deal with whatever I'm going through. And it was just a, it was amazing. I, I was literally in tears because I, I didn't, there's people watching silently in the background. So just like you have to always try to be a role model for your kids, you because they're watching everything that you do. It's the same for strangers. They'll read your posts. And there's always somebody reading your posts. There's always somebody that you're going to affect even when you don't know it. So that's what hit me hard is just the, the strangers, the responses that I would get about. I'd look forward to your posts every day. Wow. I didn't know. You know, I posted it because I'm trying to help other people. But I don't really know who's reading it. Um, so it's. It's absolutely amazing. I'm, I'm speechless as to how many people I've impacted, and I'm just so grateful that I'm still here to tell, to help. Because I, when I was in my dark place, I didn't want to live. I was so done, and I don't even know what I was done with. I think I was just done with feeling this way. I have a good life. My kids are healthy. They're alive. My, you know, I. I don't know. There's just so many blessings out there that I was overlooking because I was feeling so down. So I'm just, I don't know. This is so hard to explain. I'm just, I'm so lucky. No, and, and definitely um, we appreciate it. And, and you say, you know, it is hard to explain, but I think you're doing a, a, a good job. This idea of you started to isolate, you really started to withdraw Um and yet you had people around you, you had your daughter, um, your husband, and you had people that were there and reach out that, um, that could tell that there was something wrong. Uh, so many of our brothers and sisters die by suicide because, um, either, 
um, like your soldier, they didn't show any signs, right? The, the, right. the problems or challenges, whatever they, they were so deep that there were no outward signs and it just happened so quickly, perhaps. Um, mm-hmm. or the, the individual has isolated themselves so much that, um, that there is nobody there to reach out. Right. Right. And that's, that's why I feel it's so important for me to keep being there that way people don't feel like they're alone because they're, they're not. And that's the, that's one of the things that it's hard to explain is you, you're not that feeling of hopelessness of, of feeling like a failure or whatever the case is. So many of us feel that way. We just, we're afraid to say something. So I'm going to be that one that says it raising my hand right now. I've been there. Not every day is perfect either. Just because I came out and talk about it doesn't mean that every day is great. Some days are harder than others, but I I have to just keep thinking back of to that car accident or when I took those pills or whatever. I'm still here, and not everybody has made it that far, and I know that there's a plan for me, and I'm going to be here to help as many people as I can. And I don't wonder if that's an extension of um... – your military service, right? I mean, um, as a platoon leader, perhaps as a detachment commander or company commander, as as an officer, um, myself as a senior non-commissioned officer, you said before, um, everybody's watching, somebody's always watching, right? Somebody's always reading your post. We know that we were in, Joe was, Josephine were always watching what we were doing, good or bad, yes. right? And, yes. and we yes. had to be aware that we had to set a certain example Um because if we weren't deliberate about the example we would set, there would be a, a negative example set. Um, and those soldiers that followed us, either because they were told to or they wanted to, um, were really influenced by our actions. Are you seeing something similar now? I I am, though. I mean, I still, I still have uh, former soldiers that are – I'm still friends with them on Facebook, and nobody had any idea. And, you know, now they're seeing and now they're reading it and they're, they're just, they, they, they're surprised, but no matter what I do, and I, I'm not even sure if it is my, all the years that I've been in, but I still have that mentality of 24 seven, I'm always being watched. Uh, and then not in a bad way. You're just, you're just that, you have to set an example. And now that my son's still home, I have to set that example to him that it's okay to get frustrated and hate school and, and all that, but you just have to keep going. So I, I live that every day. I, I know that I need to be uh, a good example to him, regardless of how I'm feeling. And we just talk about it now. We're just more open. And it, you know, it's hard because he's 16. He doesn't want to talk about that stuff. <laughs> right, but, yeah. but I, we have to sit him down every now and then and, and tell him it's okay to be stressed out, but you can't run away. You can't you can't hide it because it's, it'll take a toll on you. So it's just a whole different, it's just a whole different feeling now because now I need to make sure that what he saw from me, I made it, but I almost didn't. And now we need to teach him how to do it because these kids nowadays, I mean, last year there was a 16 year old girl in his class. He didn't know her personally, but she committed suicide because she, she had so many, feelings inside that she didn't tell anybody and it's just man that's heartbreaking i 
you just don't you don't know. So it's so important now that I I am I continue to be that role model to talk to him about all that because you don't know. Sixteen year olds, God, it just broke my heart. Absolutely. Right. And there's this in, in, um, we know through, again, through research and, um, uh, Dr. Thomas Joyner's, um, interpersonal theory regarding suicide is isolation is one of the component factors. Uh, isolation, a sense of burdensomeness, like I'm, I'm a burden to, to those around me and they'll be better off without me. Um, and then really acquired access to lethal means that, that we as service members, um, we're, we're, you know, Hey, that's what we did when we were overseas and deployed. Um, so maybe we're more, um, uh, uh, able or capable of, of enacting lethal self-harm. Um, so isolation is a, um, it's a challenge, you know, and I've heard that mm-hmm. a lot from military spouses. Again, um, my wife was with me for four out of my five deployments. And so I absolutely know how strong military spouses or caregivers of veterans. Um, mm-hmm. but, but your, your situation is unique. I've had veterans on the show before. I've had a number of, of caregivers and military spouses on the show. I don't know that I've ever had anyone who was a dual military service member. So the role of wife and soldier and mother, um, what was like? What was that like for you? That was it was absolutely challenging. Because um, I, you know, we, I, I try to support my husband. He was um, he was a couple years ahead of me, and so his his jobs, his positions were a little not advanced, but he had a higher level position before I did. So when it, especially when it came down to both of us being company commanders at the same time and he, de- I deployed six months before he did, it, it was very, it was very challenging because I used to find myself um, not taking on certain responsibilities because I knew I had to take care of the kids and it, sacrificing and some of your career um, accomplishments and goals in order to I, balance the family. Absolutely. I, I turned down a position when we were in Germany cause my daughter was young and it would have required me to come back to the States to do the training. And I was like, mm, no, I'm sorry. I got to stay here for her and not, you know, I don't necessarily regret it. It was just, just a decision I had to make. And and it was for the best at that time. So absolutely over the, over the 17 and a half years that we were both trying to pull her away, be a parent and me making sacrifices. He made sacrifices too. Cause he had to deploy to Korea, my daughter's senior year in order to keep us at Fort Polk. Yeah. So it's just both ways. It's just very hard. And, um, I was stubborn because I didn't hire a nanny. I didn't have an au pair or I didn't ask for help. I was like, I got this, but I stressed myself out and, but I wanted to do it. I wanted to, and I have no, I don't judge anybody who's had to do that because I know why it's, it's hard. And and because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I took it year by year, unfortunately in the army, I, I was like, well, we'll see what happens next year. We'll see what happens next year. And so, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't really, 
I didn't know what I was going to do. So for those that had to hire people, hi, ask for help. Gosh, I applaud you because you you were strong and you you did it. I waited too late to ask for help. I was like, I could I could do this. So it was it was hard, but I I don't know if I regret too much of it. It has made my kids more resilient, and I guess we're just stronger for it. So. Well, sure. And um, those aren't choices, for example, that I had to make, right? If I had a, a position that required me to go back in training and I would say to say you know, it, it, that decision didn't have to be made by me um, or perhaps for um, maybe one of your uh, another female captain, let's say, who mm-hmm. um, whose husband wasn't also in the military, right? Who had some mm-hmm. of that backup, right? And so these are some yeah. of the unique challenges with um with dual service members uh dual military uh, couples um that are unique to the both of you even to the point of you know who gets the better assignment you know right. your two branch <laughs> managers are like you know do i really want to go to fort polk is that is that the best you know <laughs> of, of where we're going um exactly. for for whose benefit and, and not that it's a competition or not that it's a a um um you know it's not like the two of you are racing or anything like that, but it does create some unique challenges that single military service members um, or, or individuals like myself that weren't married to a service member, that they just, they, they don't have those challenges. And then that is unique where you have your own military experience and the spouse experience, just like your husband has his own unique military experience and the spouse experience now that you're a veteran. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> a lot of times, and, and this is, um, and, and we've had some conversations about women veterans on the show here before, um, that some of the struggles um, maybe in, in accessing care or, or being seen as um, a veteran in their own right um, when maybe trying to advocate for their own care in the VA uh, have you seen that or had some some uh, women veterans reach out to you to talk about that? I have seen it personally. It's It was very difficult, unfortunately, to get care at the, at the VA center. I, um, I ended up having to be seen as a dependent because I was getting more care that way. And I don't know why, I but I... It was just so surprising. I, I was just, I was dumbfounded to see how hard it was. And, uh, you know, okay, I'm a dependent, so I can be seen better or I can, I can get more access to appointments than I was as a, as a veteran. That's not fair. Uh, and, and so for all those others that other veterans who aren't able to get care as a dependent, it's, it's rough. And I have been asked that before. I had someone ask me about that as well. Like, well, then how are you dealing with it? And I said, I, I, you know, I know there's other people out there that are advocating for, for veterans, female veterans. So I will always try to support that, but I just know it's been hard. And and if I wasn't able to get care as a dependent, I, I don't know what I would do, especially when it came to, uh, the car accident and the medical bills, that was insane. So, I mean, I 
thank God for TRICARE, but if it would, if I was on my own, I don't know how I would have been treated. So that's right. pretty scary. Yeah, we hear these stories. Um, I, I actually, um, one of my, so I was in logistics in the Army, and, and so I, I served with uh, both uh, male and female soldiers my entire career. Uh, one of my RTOs, which I didn't, we, we talk about not knowing the signs, um, I didn't know it at the time, but she experienced a pretty significant traumatic brain injury. And then later, after mm-hmm. I retired, I became a clinical mental health counselor, learned the signs, reached back out to her, and I said, you know, we need to um, we need to get you into the VA. You need to help. Which, again, she also had married a service member. She more identified as a spouse, even though uh, she had gotten blown up with an IED in, Iraq, in Afghanistan. Um, but she was in Springfield, Missouri. And... And she reached back out to me and said that um, for her to go to the closest women's clinic was Little Rock, Arkansas. She had to travel to another oh state gosh. to get the care. And and this is uh, probably four or five years ago. And I absolutely know that the Department of Veterans Affairs is trying to make advances in these in these areas. Um, yes. But but there's these challenges and and the fact that that you're retired, right? I'm retired. At least I have Tricare, right? That's one of those things. But but the, those you know single single female soldiers who may be trying to deal with this and navigate on their own that they only spent six or seven or eight years in after two combat tours that the VA is all they have. And I'm not trying to bash Mm -hmm. the VA, trying to do an excellent job with what they have. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's an issue for, for a lot of women service members, women veterans um, when they're trying to get the care that they need. Yes. And it's, I, I know they're working on it. It's just taking some time, a lot of frustration and a lot of people, you know, reaching out and making their comments and it's hard. It's very hard. So I hope, you know, hope soon that it'll be fixed, but I think there's always going to be, they're always going to be working on something. So it's, it's definitely a challenge. It, it is, it is. And, and and speaking of working, um, you mentioned that you have your blog and writing, but you have another couple of projects um, that, that I see that you've been been working on: um, the Veterans Story Project, uh, and then the um, Advocating for Children of Veterans with PTSD. Um, are, are those some additional things that you have going on right now? I I was I started it a few years ago when I started the blog. I um, wanted to do something with with teens, especially because of what my kids were going through. So we're, we're still, that's a work in progress. My daughter and I wanted to to work on a book together to, um, to get that out there because not, we often forget the, the kids that are involved, um, when we go through these, when we go through our mental illness, uh, we forget about that. And so that's, yes, that's a work in progress. Veteran Story Project, I started as well. That was, for other, I've had vets uh, reach out to me wanting to share their story, but they didn't know how. So I'm, I'm helping them with that. Um, but the most recent one that I wanted to, to mention was the Be Daring Foundation. I actually, we're both, um, uh, Michelle De Maria. she reached out to me uh, because she is a mental health advocate for college students. And she's in Arizona. We're actually both ASU graduates and I'm working alongside her to educate college campuses about mental health. And I'm actually going to be out there the end of this month as a speaker. I'll be the only veteran to, to share my story. So I'm pretty excited about that. But she's working really hard 
on trying to to get this across all college campuses. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. No, I appreciate that. And again, as as we both identified having um, college age students ourselves, um, mm-hmm. I actually had uh, Jared Lyon on the show, Student Veterans of America, where they are starting to focus more on um, uh, on mental health and higher education because that's where a lot of us yes. go, right? I was yes. um, uh, in in while I was working, but uh, uh, overlapping between. When, uh, when I was in the army and before I was in college for 10 years, right? You know, so, so a lot mm-hmm. of, uh, adult learners, um, uh, non-traditional students, uh, but what a lot, a lot of people don't realize, and we talk about the suicide epidemic and the veteran population and the military spouse population, uh, but the, the suicide epidemic in the, the nation is astronomical. Uh, and as you yes. said, the, um, uh, among, amongst, um, college students is critical. I was very pleased that my daughter's school, um, during the first semester of her first year actually had a wellness course, which actually required them to go to a group therapy session to be able to process, right? Their, their initial, you know, um, uh, uh semester just getting into school and things like that uh and it's encouraging to see that kind of um uh, that kind of focus on mental health um but the be daring foundation you're saying is is really looking at um suicide on college campuses it's all trauma rape all of it because so many students go through that but they don't know how to talk about it or tell who to tell or if they're going to be believed or not so, yes, it's, it's all of that. I've been speaking to her for months now uh, when we started talking about everything that she was doing. And, and with having our own college kids, I just never realized how important that was as well. I mean, I'm, I'm really blessed that my daughter could call me up and tell me she's having a hard time. But not every college kid can do that. Not every kid can do that. So I it's absolutely important. And I'm yeah, I'm really excited to be a part of this uh, project to to educate college campuses and maybe hearing it from and, and you know an ASU alum or just a college graduated that I went through that too I just we didn't know how to talk about it so well but I think also um the practice that you've had or or, or the the um um how vocal you are um that you can stand up on stage and say you know I'm a I'm a combat veteran right I was in Iraq or in Afghanistan um and I talk about this stuff um, this is what we need to talk about. Just just having that, the boldness and the audacity, the the, the good version of the audacity, to come out and say, you know, um, is is a, a veteran once told me, success doesn't mean happy every day, right? You're going to have yes. these bad moments, and when you actually have these bad moments, you don't wait for someone else to tell you to reach out like I did. Like so, I mean, because your story is so right. compelling. And it will, it, there will be veterans in the audience because we know that, that veterans go back to school. And so your, um, your, your position as a mother, as a spouse, as a veteran, and as an alum, I think would be very impactful. Thank you. I, yeah, I, I hope so. I, I'm, I'm excited to be there to, to share the story. So I hope I can help others. Yes. And, and I, I think, um, in, in like you, right. Um, you said before where people really won't comment publicly on, you know, um, on mental health related conversations. Um, I yes. know that for a fact <laughs> with my own blog and podcast. 
Um, <laughs> but you do get the message. It's almost like, uh, you know, at the end of a class and you say, does anybody have any questions? And nobody raises their hand. And then as soon as the, right. the class is over, everybody's lining up to ask a question because, right. And, and everybody feels like they're, it, it's such a, a secret and same shameful thing. Um, so I really appreciate your efforts to, um, to tell your story and to enable other veterans to tell their story. Um, one thing that I've realized over time is that veterans need permission to access mental health or to talk about mental health, not permission as in, I will allow you to, but permission as in it's okay to there's, there's nothing wrong with it. Right. Exactly. And that's one of the things I try to put out there is it is okay to not be okay. It really is. You can cry. You can have your moments, but just remember that tomorrow is another day and you can start over and not everybody gets that chance, but if you're still here to be able to do it, then absolutely. And I'll help you do it. You know, that's, uh, that's, that's great. And that, um, any last thoughts before we kick off? No, I just, you know, I'm really grateful to still be here and, I have no judgment in anybody that asks for help. I'm, you know, I'm here to help anybody and I will tell you anything you need to know. And yeah, I'm just, I'm here for you. So. Yes. Uh, it, that's absolutely great. Uh, I'm really appreciative of the fact that we were able to connect and, and to be able to uh, tell your story. Um, if people wanted to find out more, they want to reach out to you. They want to see how things go with the, uh, the Be Daring Foundation. How can they get a hold of you? You can find me on a wildridecalllife.com. You can also email me at a wildridecalllife at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. That's great. I will make sure that we have all of those in the show notes so people can reach out and contact you. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Thank you very much. You're listening to Headspace and Timing, where we're trying to change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health. Annette's courage is inspirational. As she mentions in the show, she was hesitant to talk about what she was experiencing as she was leaving the military, and even when it was brought to her attention by her husband, she didn't want to acknowledge it to herself. It was only after it was brought to her attention by her daughter that she actually did something about it. Then, the courage to speak openly about it has led other service members to do the same. The stigma against mental health concerns doesn't have the same strength that it used to have, primarily because of service members, veterans, and military family members speaking out about it like Annette has. The goal of this show has always been to change the way that we think and talk about mental health, and Annette is someone who's leading the way in that effort. She's an example of how someone can talk about it, and by talking about it, reduce the stigma against seeking help. Many can follow her example, and if enough do, then we can start making a difference in the fight to reduce stigma against talking about mental health. Thanks for taking the time to listen. To find out more information, you can go to the show notes, which can be found at veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash HST146. While you're there, hit subscribe on your podcast player of choice and leave an honest rating and review. It helps others find the show. As I mentioned in the beginning, you can also sign up for our newsletter by going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash update and can join our growing community to get notifications of the new project by going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash community. 
I'd also like to let you know of a series of webinars that I'm providing for NADAC, the National Association for Addiction Professionals. I'm presenting a series of six webinars on service member, veteran, and military family mental health. There'll be live webinars presented over the remainder of 2019, and after they're complete, they'll be available to watch on demand. See more about the series, go to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash NADAC to check them out. Just a reminder that the guests and information on this show are for educational purposes only and not meant to be considered professional advice. While I am a therapist, I'm not your therapist. If something you've heard makes you think that you should talk to somebody, then reach out to do so. I'd like to thank Doc Todd for giving us permission to use his track, Not Alone, from his album, Combat Medicine. Doc's trying to bring the discussion about veteran mental health out of the darkness. You can see all of his work at therealdoctod.com. Make sure to join us for the next episode. Hit subscribe in your podcast player of choice so you don't miss it. Until then, remember veterans, you're not alone. Ever. The struggle is real, found a piece and lost a soul Eventually my drinking, it got out of control There in darkness I roam, struggling to find home See suddenly death didn't feel so alone 22 a day, destination unknown It could have been avoided if you picked up the phone But now you're gone, so I guess all we get is the tone Nothing but bone weeds, overgrown, pushing up stones I've triumphed over enemies, co-creating enemies Broke out facilities that tried to put an end to me R.I.P. I'd rather grind in tranquility Authentic Tennessee, embrace my ability Force, Coast Guard, get up, you know. Oh.